0: Hi, everyone. I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, October the 6th. This week, we are picking up where we left off last week, or last month, we could say, with the chaos in Washington, finger-pointing, political posturing but at least the Broncos scored their first victory, right? We have a strong panel to sort through all that has transpired during this busy week. Patty Calhoun, the founder and editor of Westward, as well as Eric Sonderman, columnist for Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs and Denver Gazettes. Tyrone Glover, civil rights and criminal defense attorney, and Chris Rourke, managing editor at Denver Business Journal. Thanks, you all, for coming this week. Uh, since we met last, uh, the U.S. Congress passed a short term funding plan which prevented a government shutdown. The measure funds government operations through November the 17th. But that passage then sparked an even more chaotic situation in Congress. With Patty, it led to the House Speaker
1: being ousted. Well, last week, I was worried about what was going to happen with the Rocky Mountain National Park. Would it be shut down during prime elk bugling season? And as we now see, we survived at Rocky Mountain National Park, but those elk have nothing on the blowhards in Congress. I mean, rutting elk, the Republican fight has been incredible. and. It's going to continue. I mean, October 11th might be the first time we find out how the vote could go. But right now, it's so up in the air The people who are throwing their hats in the ring are not the only ones who could emerge. And once again, Ken Buck, Buck is appropriate when we're talking about Elks, but Ken Buck is whether he's a hero or villain, he really changed the position when he joined the Democrats along with seven others who followed Matt Gates in this let's get rid of McCarthy. And you couldn't think you could make the Democratic Party look really good and organized, but the Republicans this week have. Mm-hmm. Eric.
2: It just is a nonstop Show uh, you know a lot of it traces back to when Donald Trump came on the scene, but it even traces back further than that. I think of all kinds of phrases. You know, you reap what you sow in terms of the Republican Party. Just rewards, chickens coming home to roost. This was faded since Kevin McCarthy got elected. The the compromises he made to secure that job in the first place, the deals he cut. The fact that he allowed one representative, Matt Gates in this case, to file such a mo- motion and immediately have it voted upon, it's all just desserts. Uh, you look back at the last five Republican speakers of the House, and none of them ended their tenure in that job happily, from Newt Gingrich to Denny Hastert, who then ended up going to jail, to John Boehner, to Paul Ryan to now Kevin McCarthy. I don't know why anyone would want that job. It is a complete dead-end job, particularly now, in this circumstance, given their narrow majority, where basically every Republican member of Congress is a swing vote who can grind the thing to a halt. Uh, Don't know why anyone would want that job. As to Ken Buck, You know, uh, yeah, there were a few hardcore Matt Gaetz types who were always going to be against McCarthy, but he lost Ken Buck's vote. He lost Nancy Mace, who's a rather moderate Republican from South Carolina, and a guy named Tim Burchett from Tennessee, who he apparently, McCarthy apparently alienated or ticked off by making some comment about uh, his religious uh, zealotry. Uh, He didn't need to lose this vote, but he managed to lose it, and here we are.
0: You know, for as long as things ha- seem to take in Congress, that vote that happened so fast this week, didn't it, Tyron?
3: Yeah. yeah, for the party that denounces cancel culture, they seem to <laughs> indulge in it quite a bit these days. Um, I mean, they're canceling uh, the rights they disagree with, uh, history they're ashamed of, and now members of their own party. So. And it's coming from all ends it's like they, they teed this this poor guy up and then w- when it was time to vote they sort of sat back and let the, the Democrats do the dirty work and then now the folks that seem to have taken a bit of a common you know sort of stayed in line and taken a more moderate position uh, they're now being uh, run against and sort of tried to de and saying that they're similar to McCartney uh, working with Democrats um, I don't know, it's, it's, it's always interesting and doesn't seem like it's gonna cease anytime soon.
4: Okay.
0: Chris, I know you wanna talk about the impact to Ken Buck after the couple of weeks he's had. <laughs>
4: Well, it's interesting. I think last week we were talking about him going to CNN and, and anything. I don't know if the contract fell through, but he seems very interested in getting reelected all of a sudden, uh, perhaps his swing into this vote. I cannot understand why those seven representatives would follow Matt Gates into battle, a man who is under ethics violation uh, investigations, uh, who members of Congress have have really shared some um, alarming uh, information about him. As far as the impact to 2024, I've had people say, oh, this will blow over, you know, people have short-term memory. I don't know. I think this has a huge impact in 2024, especially on the Republican Party as a whole. And then when you come down to Congressional District 4, it's going to get very interesting. Um, We've already heard that Richard Holtorf, Representative Richard Holtorf, is toying with the idea of primarying Ken Buck. Another um, well-liked, well-known Republican is toying with primarying. A lot of these Republicans were thinking of waiting it out to see if Ken Buck does leave Congress and, and backs out. Now all of a sudden they're saying, "Ah, oh, I think it's time for a primary. And that would be Weld County Sheriff Steve Reams, is toying with the idea of primarying Ken Buck. I think he was waiting in the wings to see what Congressman Buck would do. Now he's got a full head of steam, and I tell you what. If Republicans want to unseat this congressman, they have got to decide on one candidate to take him on head-to-head. It could be Steve Rames. He's well-liked. He's very popular. It will be a tough race, but I think it could be winnable if if you have the right candidate. And who's to say that Ken Buck isn't going to be the next Scott Tipton?
1: Well, that's assuming we make it to 2024. So even if they find a speaker, then we still have to avert the government shutdown again in mid-November. So. We have a lot more to go. We couldn't script this. 234 years, this is the first time it's happened.
4: April next year, we will know what the landscape looks like. A lot could change, but from where I'm looking right now, it's not pretty. Not pretty for a uh, primary battle. I think there's going to just mm-hmm. be a lot more infighting. And I think the Democrats sit back and eat popcorn and, and say, we're the party you can trust. Hmm. Okay.
0: Turning to the Gold Dome in Colorado, on Monday, Manny Routinel was selected by a state house vacancy committee to replace former state rep Daphne Michelson-Junay, who was chosen by another vacancy committee back in August to represent Senate District 21. And at the national level, vacancies are filled with a special election, and that's the same case in other states as well. Eric, people are now asking, is this a fair process to have these committees pick our new leaders?
2: I think they've been asking that question, Kyle, for a while, but I think it's even picking up steam because it just happens with increasing frequency. I wrote about this, I think it was three years ago or more. At that point in time, over 20 percent of the legislature had been selected the first time out by a vacancy committee, not elected. Uh, Where I live in central Denver, at that point in time, I had a senator who took office, Chris Hansen, by vacancy committee when the previous senator resigned, and then his place in the State House was filled by vacancy committee by Steve Woodrow. No commentary on Hansen and Woodrow. They're both decent people and capable legislators, but let them get their position through an election, particularly for an unaffiliated voter by, such as myself. I have a say in an election. I have zero say in a vacancy committee. In this case, Manny Rutinel, Daphne Michelson-Janae, I, no, no criticism of them, I know Daphne in particular, and I think she's an able, able and good person. But the system itself is broken. If a member of Congress resigns, we have a special election. Why can we not do the same thing in a fairly small district in the big scheme of things uh, and why can we not provide some more disincentives for this constant game of political musical chairs where everyone is looking for their next gig before it's time for the next gig? And therefore, you just continue this cycle of people taking office
3: without an election.
0: Is it because it's cheaper, it's faster, like it's always been done that way? You know, I'm just curious. Tyrone.
3: You know something's wrong when some of the folks who are benefiting from it are some of the loudest opponents um, and actually want to get rid of it, right? You have the people who are actually inheriting these positions through this process, um, some of the most vocal folks who are saying, hey, get rid of it. You know, Rutanel, Hernandez, you know, they have uh, been interviewed, they've uh, appeared in columns, um, and they're not for this. What this really comes down to is, you know, if we want folks to participate in our systems, uh, there needs to be trust. Right? They need to feel like they have a voice. They need to feel like they have not been sidelined. And these little insider uh, type appointments just goes absolutely against that. We have a great election system here in Colorado. If half the states and the feds can do it, then we can. So I think it's time for a change and give everyone a voice.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Hernandez and Rutanel. They were eight vacancy appointments that were filled in the last couple of months. But during the session, 24 of the 100 lawmakers in the House and Senate I read were positioned there because of These selection committees, Chris.
4: Yeah, it's unfortunate because you know I I agree it it lends itself to insider politics and these appointments lead to incumbency and then all of a sudden you have people that have been appointed by this small group influencing the legislature for year after year after year in session after session. Unfortunately, I will answer the question, why can't we have special elections? They are costly, and they do take time. And our legislature is only 120 days. So what do you do? Do you leave the seat open until they find somebody, you know, they have a special election, and then once the candidate is selected or the... the, the, the representative is selected, then they go in for 30 days of the session and they're brand new. So I think that's why we've continued to rely upon this system. Is it a good system? No, it's not, but the alternative, I don't know that it works either.
1: Well, we're all going to agree on this because definitely these representatives should be elected. Since most of the vacancies now are coming up after the session is over, presumably you could actually arrange an election. Especially we've we've got mail-in balloting, we have good systems in place, of course it's gonna add some costs, but it will also add confidence in the system that you get a chance to vote. You know, it's ironic here that Dominic Moreno's appointment to Mike Johnston's cabinet, or I don't know if he's cabinet level or advisory level, but this set this whole dominoes in motion, but we still have until January, we could have had elections for these spots that would let more people participate. A Colorado baker who
0: has not backed down from legal challenges over the years is now headed to the state Supreme Court. Jack Phillips of Masterpiece Cake Shop received a win at the U.S. Supreme Court, but now the Colorado Supreme Court will decide if Phillips violated the state's anti-discrimination law when he refused to make a, a cake to celebrate a gender transition. Or Tyrone, his argument that he's allowed to refuse that under his First Amendment right.
3: Right, so different cake, right? This is a, a different, different plaintiff, a different case altogether. Different cake, same discrimination. And I think what this one hopefully will come down to uh, is public accommodations. So this is a cake on its face, I think it was pink and blue, um, no sort of message uh, that they actually agreed. He agreed to make the cake. And then when he letter, later found out it was a gender transition party that it was celebrating, then that's when he said, No way, no dice, okay? So the way that this one is teed up, um, I think is more teed up in a public accommodations uh, posture. If you are serving the public, if you're benefiting from public infrastructure, taxpayer uh, funded resources, then you have a duty to not discriminate against the public. This one's going to be very interesting because while it is number two for Masterpiece Bakery, uh, we did have the intervening Creative, creative 303 in the middle, which was just such a broad, broad holding in decision that that has the potential to just swallow it all up. Um, but Colorado, I think, does have uh, a history of backing CATA and some of these discrimination laws. And this is our state Supreme Court, not SCOTUS. So hopefully we have a different outcome. Hmm.
4: CHRIS. Well, it does come down to it. Is a cake an expression of speech? There were people that will argue, yes, this is a cake maker who takes pride in his work and, and sees his work as an expression of his views. The attorneys made an interesting argument. They said, this is no different than a Ukrainian baker being asked to bake a cake that celebrates the Russian invasion. You, you know, so it's an expression that he sees of his work and, and his livelihood. Is it speech? without there being necessarily words, perhaps. I don't know, we're gonna have to see. It's a very interesting case. Um, Again, with the Supreme Court case, that was about speech. It was about a woman who had a website who actually wrote language. So it'll be interesting to see if the court thinks that this cake, pink and blue, is actually an expression of speech. Right.
3: At some point, we need to draw the line as to what's expression. I could come up with a creative argument uh, for you know the, the tie that I chose to wear, the way that I'm sitting here at the table as, as being expression. Really, anything uh, that is produced goods or, or services as being some form of expression. There needs to be a line. Um, he was OK with making it before, before he knew what he was making it. Uh, what what type of party he was making it for. So um, I think, you know, I'm really interested to see where this one comes out. Uh, Creative 303, I think, is going to be informative.
1: I'm getting tired of the cooked up court cases we're getting. (laughs) So Creative 303, no one had ever really asked her to make a website for a gay wedding. She didn't have to have her words tortured by something she didn't believe in, but we got the decision on that, a 303 Creative. Now we have Tina Scardina who, clearly knew where she was ordering a cake from. When she ordered the pink and blue cake, Jack Phillips, everyone knew about him. So this was another cooked up test. I understand we need to come to definition of where our free speech rules lie, but both of these cases are really tricky ones to keep arguing when they knew quite well what they were going into. Cooked up. Exactly. Mm -hmm.
2: It was cooked up. It was a setup, if you will. Uh, regular viewers of this show will not be surprised. Uh, Tyrone and I, with all respect, have gone at it before after the 303 creative case, and I come at it from a different viewpoint. I think in a pluralistic society, you should not need to compel speech. I agree with Tyrone that you need to, at some point, define what speech or expression is, and it can't be everything, and your tie is a very nice tie, by the way, uh, Tyrone, and, and no one objects to it, but, uh, this clearly now is at a level of just harassing Jack Phillips. Last I looked, the Colorado Supreme Court, which we'll hear this case, is still subject to the rulings of the U.S. Supreme Court, and ultimately it could land there as well if it bumps up into the federal court system. Uh, the 303 creative decision should be governing in this case, and maybe having been slapped down twice, by the U.S. Supreme Court, the Colorado authorities on Jack Phillips once and on 303 Creative for a second time, maybe they will not go for a third strike here. Uh, And maybe we can just let Jack Phillips be, you have a right to be wrong. Jack Phillips is wrong in my mind, but he has a right to be wrong. And Tina Scardina can go get her cake plenty of other
3: places.
0: Anything final, Mr. Attorney?
3: I mean, he has a right to be wrong but my tax paying dollars should not be going uh, to support his business. If the public is supporting him, enabling him, allowing him to be open and operate, and he's serving the public, he shouldn't be able to discriminate against the public.
2: And I guess I would just I point out this fact again. I mean, in years long gone by, I would do some speech writing for hire. So as a Jewish son of two Holocaust refugees to this country, some Holocaust denier shows up at my doorstep and wants me to write a speech for him, should I be compelled to do that? I think creative people should have some ability to discern and even, yes, discriminate in the different use of that word about what clients they take and where they draw the line. And that Holocaust denier can go find some other speech writer, thank you very much. Okay,
0: all right. This is my first weekend in three, That i am not running out to the airport and i am so okay with that denver international airport is the third busiest airport in the world and this week chris we have learned that plans are in the works to make it even busier
4: even busier and at least they're looking down the road look uh, there was an announcement that came out of um, a regular quarterly update on dia and there is a vision for dia in 2045 more than 20 years down the road Dia is on track to reach more than 100,000 passengers five years ahead of what they were predicting. So now they're getting on plans to accommodate it into the next you know decade and beyond. Um, the vision includes having more checkpoints, more TSA, uh, expanding terminals, having four more concourses, and a hundred more gates, which they are confident they can fill. They just have to talk to the airlines comes at a time when United Airlines has said, hey, we're expanding at at DIA. We love DIA. We want 12 more gates. They have three new clubs coming online. Um, So we've seen the traffic there. And it lends itself to that that discussion about Peña Boulevard. What are we going to do about that? We have rapid growth happening at DIA. It's fortunate that they're looking down the road to try to accommodate it, because a lot of times that doesn't happen, right? We have rapid growth. And everyone throws up their hands and says, oh no, what are we gonna do? So it's amazing to see this kind of forethought and and the plans that are coming out. My goodness, hold on to your seat though. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna
1: hit 100 million much earlier than predicted. So they're now saying 2027. And we don't even know if the terminal renovation will be done by then. They're saying they might beat 2028, but. So we're looking at that. So we've got all this additional construction coming in. And I'm thinking not just about Peña Boulevard, but the A-Line, which again on Thursday was shut down and they had to bus people because they were working on that. And then you get to the trains taking you out from the terminal to the concourses. We still don't have a good backup for that. And if any of you have been stuck there, which I'm sure you have, when one of those trains is down, you can wait an hour to get out to your concourse, so there 's a lot of interim things they 're going to have to figure out before we have the one hundred and twenty million in two thousand and forty five I think I read, but I could be
0: wrong that these new terminals will not you won 't use the train that 's in place I thought maybe? yeah, I think uh, I mean, how could you have all those more people in the train system we have now? you just can 't
2: I think I read that they will come off of the main terminal, the Jefferson terminal, okay. so Welcome. they won 't be separate concourses. I've been long-winded on some other topics, so let me be short here. I'm not opposed to the vision. I'm not opposed to the idea. Obviously, capacity has to increase if any of these projections are remotely true. I am skeptical, based on recent experience, of the city's ability to pull this off Mm -hmm. in a timely, cost-efficient way without massive disruption and without it just extending forever. Hopefully, the Johnston administration, while it is in office, will be a little more apt at this, than maybe the last administration proved to be, not in terms of the vision, but in terms of actually executing.
3: Hmm. I remember sheltering in place in 2020 during COVID and wondering if we were ever going to get back to travel, to, to being international, to the bustling airports, um, you know, j- just sort of this, this moving free uh, about our, our country and, and our world. And we've had back to back record travel numbers uh, at DIA. It's steadily climbed. We're at number three right now. When I first moved out here, I could see the vision you know, this being a hub, the way that it was laid out, all of the different amenities, and it's being realized. And so we're there, and we just need to execute. I agree with Eric, you know, it, it, it could be tough, but, you know, time to follow through on that vision. And I'm just so glad that we're back in this place.
0: And don't you feel too, whenever you fly anywhere else, DIA? Is the most crowded of it seems like of every airport I go to,
1: and horrible signage. Let's just say that they don't. You run into dead ends. I understand keeping up with the construction projects with signage is difficult, but I wish they'd warn you as you come in on the train yeah. what you're going to encounter. Yeah. All right. Well, this weekend I'm staying put.
4: I'm not going to the airport.
1: <laughs> so happy.
0: <laughs> uh, now let's talk about some of the highs and lows of this week, Patty. Let's
1: start with you in terms of a low. Well, the Johnston administration is working hard to try to come up with the House 1000 plan. But just this week, we've learned that because of sweeps and because of where people are moving, the Triangle Bar, oldest gay bar in Denver, is closing at least temporarily because they cannot handle all the homeless encampments outside. Mercury Cafe almost had the same problem. So we have to be sure that our local businesses can operate.
2: Mine certainly doesn't rise to the level of the chaos we just saw in the U.S. House. But across the Capitol in the Senate, this idea of getting rid of any dress code, again, (laughs) it is not a capital letter kind of issue. But I think it just speaks to the lowering of standards we're seeing all over. And, you know, if you want to amend the dress code, I'm not sure if women don't show up in closed toe shoes, the Republic might not be at stake for that. But I don't know that we need Jim shorts and the Pennsylvania Senator showing up in his hoodie. I think you can still have some standards in our seat of power.
3: An $8 million settlement just came out of the Colorado Department of Corrections. Um, There was a report coming out of the Bureau of Prisons about the appalling conditions. We're continuing to hear about our jails and there's been similar cases of what we've seen in DOC. Um, you know, there's been attention called to just the conditions uh, for incarcerated folks uh, across our state and across this country. Um, I think that it's an issue that, you know, these folks are, are down but but not forgotten that we need to focus on. Um, and you know, it's I think promising that attention is being brought to it but it's my sort of bad of the week because I think that it needs even more attention because we cannot forget about these folks.
4: Well, there was a guest column that appeared in the Gazette talking about Republicans fighting amongst themselves and it was Representative Ken DeGraff from El Paso. Um, He was highly critical of GOP strategist Dick Wadhams, Dick Wadhams who helped Wayne Allard get elected, is associated with Hank Brown, Bill Owens, uh, helped topple Tom Daschle in South Dakota, an illustrious career of many victories. And yet uh, this column lays at Dick Waddams' feet the state of the GOP right now and blames him for losses in 2010. Very unfair column, in my opinion it is something that uh, I think is quite a disgrace. Okay, all right, thank you. Now let's uh, close the show off with something positive. Doors Open Denver, which was a great
1: program in Denver. It's kind of on a hiatus in the physical sense. You're not gonna be able to go into buildings over the next week and see their interior. But there are two new videos about Five Points that debut today that you can watch on Doors Open Denver and they're great. Okay, thanks.
2: A shout-out to Ginger White Brunetti, the longtime head of arts and venues in Denver, did a fine job, an exemplary job, a truly good person. She was notified by the Johnston administration that she would not be renewed in that post. It is Mike Johnston's right, certainly, to surround himself with the people he wants. But she put a, left a pretty high bar, so he must have somebody very good in
3: mind. Okay. The use of force dashboard seems like it's actually going to finally come on board. Uh, this was something contemplated uh, by the Police Accountability Act, which passed during the summer of 2020. This is going to be, I think, great for police accountability, give public as- access to use of force data. Uh, sunlight is the best disinfectant, so um, more information, the better.
4: Okay. All right. That's good. Mine's kind of fuzzy. It's Fat Bear Week. And this happens in Alaska. The National Park Service Rangers go out and videotape uh, bears up there. They're really big bears. Now, I'm from the mountains. I'm used to black bears. These are the really big, grizzly-type, big, fuzzy bears. They videotape these bears, and they put them online. It's uh, fatbearweek.org if you want to go there and vote for your Fattest fuzzy bear.
0: Okay, all right, uh, I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my positive this week is the yes that we receive from new Denver Mayor Mike Johnson's office. In two weeks time, he will be hitting his 100 days in office and he is going to come onto Colorado Inside Out for a half hour discussion about how things are going, the challenges he didn't expect, his approach to some of the issues and what he's focusing on going forward, all that. We invite you to share with us any questions you might have for the mayor Please submit your question to pbs12.org and then slash uh, uh, questions, let's see, viewer questions. There's a chance we might ask your question when we talk with him for the October 20th show. Thank you for watching this show or listening if you are checking out our podcast. Once again, thanks to our panel for joining us and being so well prepared for the week. And as always, being here to discuss all the craziness that is ensuing. It seems like a rapid pace lately. Thanks for watching. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.